to episode 241 of the Winning Six podcast. I'm your host, Adam McGee, and joining me as usual, it's Jordan Tresky. Hello there, Jordan. Hello. Jordan, we are free from the constraints Ah, the FBI had put on our time, on our identities, on everything, where we had to do last week's episode somewhat undercover. People loved it. Who Who would have guessed that, you know technical mishaps making our voices sound i mean i I was gonna say funny but more funny than usual maybe is the best way of putting that would get such a response but people said a lot of positive things a lot of nice compliments which is great we love compliments so it's good to know that it takes us sounding more ridiculous than usual to get them Yes, it does. (laughs) It wasn't slower. This is something I've I've had. People have been like, you know, speed it up and it would have fixed it. Wouldn't have fixed it. I tried that. It just, it was a mess, right? It was a mess, but everyone had their fun. And now it's back to normal. Or so we think. Maybe when this is recorded, I'll listen back and be like, oh, no. Maybe I'll go in and and screw with the audio. (laughs) But, Jordan, we've got important business to tend to. It's been a momentous week, a momentous few days for all of us, really. Um, it's been one of these things, you know, you could wait your whole life for a Jordan. We've certainly waited a long time. Some people may say it's a dream come true. Of course, I am talking about Matthew Delavadova's hole in one on the second hole at Lake Park. <laughs> Jordan, I assume you've seen this. I have. I feel for Delhi here because he won. He very clearly seems to be on his own. I've had one hole in one, and I was on my own as well. And you know that's not when you want to have a hole in one because people say, "Yeah, sure, you had a hole in one." Do you know where this lake park is? I think so. I've heard. I mean, there's a lot of lake parks. Uh. You know, it makes sense. Yeah, right. Minnesota, I mean, they're the land of 10,000 lakes, so they probably have a lot of lake parks there. (laughs) But, um, I didn't even know. I, 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 if I did, I don't knew, I don't think I knew that there was a golf course, a par three golf course at that. I think it's generous calling it a par three. This is what we would call a pitch and put course, it's basically a par two, it's a 55 yard hole. I'm not taking anything away from Delhi. The greens look absolutely awful. So it's a good job he hold it, but congratulations to Delhi. Have you ever been a golfer, Jordan? 
Uh, I have golfed. I never tried foot golf. Foot golf is fun. Is Is it? Yeah, it looks fun. See, that's what I think. That uh, that it looked like a foot golf course. Uh, renovated. (laughs) The the conditions of it made it look like a foot golf course. Yeah, I'm guessing you've never had a real hole in one with a golf club and a ball. No. Well, maybe in mini golf days, you know. They call me the uh, Ben Hogan. <laughs> it's gone too far. It's gone too far. This is um, what we want. In other news, the books Here opened an arena. <laughs> <laughs> that was some misdirection that I'm sure none of you, uh, none of you saw coming, as is the case for all good misdirection. Pfizer Forum is officially opened. It opened just after midday on Sunday. In a nice ceremony. Jordan hasn't seen it, which, you know, defeats love the purpose here. But it was, I found it enjoyable. I mean, as Aralong kind of, I don't know, prognostications go, where all of the owners get up and say their piece, and then uh, the politicians get up and say their pieces. I thought this was pretty enjoyable, and it was because. Jokes aside, we have waited quite a long time for this arena. Um, I tweeted about this shortly after the fact, but this would apply equally to you. In my time writing about the books in particular, it's been one of the big things from the early days that was hanging over and causing so much uncertainty. It's now seems strange to kind of think back to that time, but there was a real period um, back... I'd guess the 2014-15 season. I'm trying to think oh, yeah. when, when things were actually kind of ironed out. But in and around the back half of that season, which was really when both of us started writing about the books, that it was all very much up in the air. They didn't know if they were going to get the votes they needed for funding. And it seemed like the vultures from around the NBA were starting to lurk. And there was a real possibility that, you know, the books could have been elsewhere. The books may not have been the books by now. That has been averted, and not only that, I mean, they arrive in the arena, as we often talk about, with a superstar, a superstar the likes of which they haven't seen since Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, now with a new coach, and with a lot of potential. And from what I could see through my computer screen across the other side of the world, the arena really does look as impressive as advertised. It appears to be everything the owners wanted it to be, everything they promised, and in line with the new practice facility, in line with everything else that's kind of happened in a positive sense for the team in the last couple of years, it seems like the latest and obviously the most significant and meaningful example of the books committing to this idea of being a first-class organization. That's something that I think for a long time we've balked at. But these are the kind of things where you do put something to that. You know, if you're if you're getting all your infrastructure right, it does matter, and I do think it will appeal to players. I've no doubt that books players are going to prefer to play in a shiny new arena than they did in the Bradley Center. You did make it down undercover. You you hadn't broken out of your cover for the previous podcast at that point, but you made it down to the block party, to the whole ribbon cutting. Did you arrive just after the ribbon cutting? Would that be? Yes, ma'am. Jordan is not one for, you know, for pomp, pomp and, and ceremony. <laughs> right. He just 
came right on true and said, show me the arena, show me the seats. <laughs> what was your overall impression of the building? But also, how did you find the atmosphere? What was the feeling around around the whole area that day? Because, you know, there's so much talk about, oh, how everyone feels better about the books and the books are starting to energize the community. If it wasn't present on a day like that, I don't think it ever would be. But was there any kind of tangible buzz or excitement around the place? Well, I think it's interesting because this is far more interesting than any <laughs> details I can give of the of the arena. But if you really think about it, I mean, the first block party that was, uh, you know, they announced this whole new color scheme and all that stuff. But the thing hanging over that was trying to secure the funding for the new arena. So this is basically like the since block parties have begun for the Bucks. I mean, to have a a summer, even if it's one day in a long summer of, you know, non-Bucks play, you know, game days and all that stuff. That was the kind of this whole thread. And so to have it kind of like wrapped up with this whole, you know, everything opening and uh, all the development that's going in still, obviously, um, I mean, it's kind of weird to look back. And I know there's a lot of people kind of looking back on the journey and stuff like that, but I don't know. It's maybe personally, like, to me, it's it's so weird kind of like looking back on it because at the time, as you said, like it was I, I remember like that that especially after that Bulls game, like the 53 point loss or something like that. Like you have something like that, and then you go into this weird kind of like, well, what's gonna happen with the team and all the arena funny you have to leave it up to you know the the lawmakers of Wisconsin and stuff like that to have it all sorted out. So anyway. Going back to the arena, I think a lot of it was just the atmosphere. It was, I mean, it was a madhouse. First of all, I mean, some of the numbers that they floated out about people downloading tickets, which is obviously to tour the place. Like it was, I don't know, three and a half times the capacity of like people sitting in the place. So it was very crowded, and you're just kind of like looking around, and you know, it just as like fun it is as fun as it, as it is to see like a new place and kind of just like. Oh, like this, uh, you know, try to, you read all the details about like what, what's going to be in the arena and stuff like that. And you just, you're starting to see it for the first time. It, I don't know. It's such a weird, it was a weird experience. And plus too, I, I remember doing this when I was a kid for Miller park and the, the jump, it's the jump from the going from County stadium to Miller park is, I, I mean, that was more like, uh, I, I would say exponential, than like the Bradley Center to the new arena, but still, it was still like a jarring experience to see like, oh, this is a modern state of the art. Uh, everything's at your, uh, you know, all these accommodations, features and stuff like that. You can actually, I don't know, it's a much different experience. I'm just yammering at this point and not saying anything. of. No, no you're not. You're saying, you're saying things that are interesting to me. Um, interesting, I'm sure, to other listeners who didn't make it down to Five Surf Forum. Did you find that? There were large swades, obviously there were large swades, but in terms of the overall kind of crowd, what kind of percentages are we talking about that were kind of visibly wearing books gear or books colors? Because the thing with something like this as well is, you know, looking forwards for what Pfizer Forum might look like on a night-to-night basis in terms of capacity, it's like, is this representative? Is it that the books and the new arena and all that excitement, the new coach has engaged fans to the point where, you know, 40,000 people registering for tickets 
is not going to be completely out of the, the norm. You know, I wouldn't expect it to be an everyday thing by any means, but that level of demand becoming more of a common occurrence or was there a real vibe of there was a lot of curious people from around the city, around the state who said, oh yeah, let's take a trip out and see exactly what this is. Um, I mean, it's anything new is going to draw people in. I think Peter Fagan even said something in one of the many <laughs> pieces that he's been kind of, you know, obviously uh, uh, stumping for the arena and, you know, everything else with it. Um, definitely the appeal is going to be there for the first, I don't know, first season, maybe first couple seasons, and then everything beyond that. I mean, that's where the true challenge lies. But well, the key is if you're if you're good for the first season, then it doesn't yes. go away until you're not good, which is, I think, in part why, you know, they really want to be good and why they certainly couldn't have waited any longer on the coaching change because they needed to freshen things up and try to remedy their problems. So I, I think that's the interesting thing. Like, we're coming at this at a time where, expectations are high hopes are high for the team even you jordan even you are optimistic about what the books might be able to do this year and it's it's a kind of it's a difficult thing at times to really kind of put into any kind of coherent conversation it's something i've thought of and i kind of wrote something along the lines of it but never really got to where i want to because it's it's really a zeitgeist thing it's just you know what can they capture? How much can all of these factors combine together? And it is something really rare for any professional sports team. And it's something that, you know, if everything clicked in place for the books this season, the whole thing could take off. Like it really, it really could. The books could be bigger than ever. Um, and the whole perception of, you know, the sad old books, the perception that we, we have certainly dealt with throughout all of our time writing and talking about the books, your times following the books from, from your child, that could all go away quite quickly if everything clicked into place, if they had the kind of season that a lot of us feel like they could have. Because there is this kind of just perfect marriage of different factors of circumstance. And the timing in this regard is good. I want to talk about some of the other details. Some of them you may not have seen because you didn't see the ceremony. But you'll be able to comment on them nonetheless. Um, I'm gonna, rather than being, you know, being what I'd normally be as host here and going for like the most obtuse and obscure moments from the ceremony first, I'm going to go to the thing that again may actually have some real significance and bear, you know, bear commenting on. And that is Chris Middleton was again on the stage. At this point, of course, we had chris middleton at the meeting with bud but i it just can't be overstated that one player other than Giannis, is on that stage one current player and it's not eric bledsoe who you know for similar reasons we could say oh no they wouldn't bring bledsoe because he's a free agent next year it's chris middleton there were lots of other guys around on the day um DJ Wilson, Dante DiVincenzo, Eric Bledsoe, Ton Maker from social media. At least all of those are around. I'm trying to think, was there anyone else? Um, but there were other players from the organization. You could have had them all on stage and be like, here's our current books representatives. They didn't. They had Giannis, which is obvious. It makes sense. It would really be pretty stupid not to have Giannis up there. And you have Chris Middleton. Is there any way? 
that the books aren't about to, you know, back up the Brinks truck for Chris Middleton next summer. Uh, you say, is there any way that they aren't? Yeah. Can you see them not doing that with everything they've involved him in in the last few months? Uh, I, I would be shocked if they didn't at this point. And I we're already like without him playing and without seeing what kind of Chris Middleton season we're going to get, what kind of start we're going to get. We're in this kind of weird place of it does feel like he's a player who will be appealing enough to multiple teams unless say something happened like he tore his hamstring off the bone again, which in that case, all bets would be off the books too. But the kind of price range of that really gets interesting. I don't know. I don't know what the thinking is here. Is it just to make it so apparent how important he is, how central he is? Because that's great, but may also lose you some leverage in negotiations. Or may their thinking be, you know, it's all, you know, you're a part of everything. We want to make this as much about you as it is about Giannis. We want to involve you so that when the time comes, it's not even discussion. And we just work out the deal that we think is fair. We ignore the rest of the market and it's all done very quickly. I don't really know which side it's coming down on. And they may think they're doing one thing and it may lead to the other. It may ultimately be that 12 months from now, Middleton goes, well, you know, if the books think I'm that important and that good, I need to go and talk to other teams and see exactly how this plays out. But I... I did just find it very, very interesting that he was there and it was just him because, sure, I wasn't surprised he was there, but when you don't have Bledsoe, you don't have Brogdon or whoever, you're not you're not branching out beyond that to who's on stage. It's sending a very, very clear message. It's not a message that we hadn't had already, but it just continues to be reinforced at these kind of marquee and historic moments, really. Um, in terms of the hiring of the coach and the opening of the new arena, that's that's there. He's going to be there forever in every picture of that. And that, to me, was definitely the most most meaningful, serious takeaway of the day. Other than that, there were some greats on that stage, Jordan. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Will I go down along the line? You may. I'm doing this from memory, so I hope I've got even there. They're seating and you know, in order. I hope I've got to remember correctly. You had Giannis, you know, closest to the podium. Of course. How could you put him anywhere else? Kareem was beside him. Giannis even sits closer than Kareem does. This is this is the pecking order we've now got to. After Kareem, you had Chris Middleton, who alongside him had Mike Budenholzer and John Horst. Then there was Marcus Johnson. Then there was Michael Red. Then there was Vin Baker. And Jordan, if you're asking, I mean, or, I forgot Johnny Mac. Johnny Mac was there too. And if you're asking, if there's one there no role, whatever that is, if there's one other former book player who was going to be brought on this stage, who could it be, right? Who with this caliber of books? Hmm. Is Ray Allen going to be wheeled out? I don't think Ray Allen has ever done anything for the books since he left. Is this the time he comes back into the fold? Is Sidney Moncrief going to be there? Kind of weird that Sid wasn't. Anyway, (laughs) 
It was Steve Novak, Jordan. I I don't know why. He's a representative of the organization. He still does work for them. He's a very... well. Is he very popular? He's a popular guy because of local size. Um, but he was very... Whoever did the seating arrangement was very kind to Steve Novak to get him up there. And there was all of the introductions for, you know, Marcus Johnson, this many time All-Star, John McLaughlin, NBA champion, the original book, uh, Michael Red, All-Star, Olympian. This was kept going. And then it was Milwaukee's own, Jim Paschke said, which, I mean, come on, you and I, all of our listeners know, they know the truth. Steve Novak, that's what he had. I don't know how it happened. Maybe. Maybe, and I think this maybe should have been played up a little bit more. He made sense because Marquette will also be using the building. Mm -hmm. And his legacy with Marquette is definitely just a little bit more significant than it is with the books. But I don't know about you, but I remember those 42 minutes that Novak played for the Bucks. Is that all it is? I've forgotten. I wrote the ode to Steve Novak during the 2016-17 season. Less minutes than DeAndre Liggins played. Imagine DeAndre Liggins sitting at the end of that stage, just randomly. You have all of those players. You go along the line. Who's that at the end? It's DeAndre Liggins. That's, you know, he played. Big red. I don't know. It is... It is very, very strange, but good for Steve Novak. He is, you know, he's coming out of all of this book stuff as a big winner. Yeah. His middle name is, his full name is Stephen Michael Novak. I heard he's changing Michael to MKE for Mike. <laughs> oh, dear. Another element worth commenting on. Um, we've talked a lot about the ownership and all of the various elements and ups and downs the ownership group have had since arriving in Milwaukee. Um, this is the second occasion I can think of where all of the owners were together. And when I say all of the owners, the four owners. The I, think we, four. I think we might have touched on this before um, pretty briefly in that, hmm, it's interesting. It just seems like someone else has come to the fore and, you know, is being flagged up as owner as well. I'm talking about Mike Fascitelli, who comes from a property and development background was one of the main people involved with managing and populous <laughs> managing the day-to-day construction of the arena making sure everything was in order getting the job done mm-hmm. and they were introduced as the four majority owners i believe they were put on equal footing so for all the time we talked about led We've now got an F in the mix. I don't know if that like them fled. <laughs> fled may not be the best. Well, How else can we delf? I feld? mean, uh, I feld is not great either. Delf? <laughs> We've got to update this though because it's Lenf. <laughs> basically just like say deadlift shrimp. <laughs> That's what I'm going to call the new ownership. They need to to fill it out, right? They need to get someone with a T and then, you know, it's just got to spell it out. But this is, I mean, jokes and yeah, we have jokes and we will continue to have jokes, I'm sure, aside. (laughs) This is significant when we consider all of the other noise that has been around things, because if he is 
on the same kind of standing, the same kind of footing, if he has the same share as those other three owners, Jordan. Have we got a bigger problem in that it's not even just that there's majorities that can be ignored anymore, it's that votes can be split? I don't I don't even want to talk about that. <laughs> I'm just saying, I'm just saying there's, another, there's another voice in the room. I mean, that could be good. It could also be not so good. But I do think it is worth noting that, you know, throughout the process of obviously the construction, there's a business partner. Definitely a Wes Edens. I'm not entirely sure because I don't know all of them personally what his relationship was to Mark Lazar and Jamie Dynam before this. But there certainly seems to be another owner, another voice in the room on the same kind of footing. That isn't cause for, you know, complete meltdown. Like, like is the shadow voice. <laughs> like is the fault for books fans when it comes to ownership. But it is worth noting that if ever we end up back in those murky waters, hey, there's another decision maker. And who knows? What good stuff Mike Fascitelli could deliver us over the years. I think lastly, the element we've got to touch on from the ceremony is Herb Cole. Um, the whole ceremony was really about Herb Cole. And that was deserved and that was very fair. He's a very impressive man who's done great things for the books, which considering the things we would have said about Herb Cole when we started this podcast, considering the books teams he had over seen, you know, that seems, it seems unusual to say it now, but I mean, the bigger picture is already starting to show he is a man who effectively saved the books twice. He is a man who gave $100 million of his own money towards the building of this new arena when the team was no longer his. And, when you add that on to everything else he did, obviously the parting gifts for the staff when he sold the team, everything, his life as a public servant for Wisconsin, for Milwaukee. The Bucks are really, really lucky that Herb Cole was their owner. I think that's that's something that fans of the team from the last two decades, I mean, nearly three decades, dating back to that time. It's something that in the kind of immediate sense will take some wrestling. It will kind of take some juggling it around in, in your brain to let it settle in because of some of the influence he had on other decisions made that affected basketball. But the fact that we're able to talk about any of this is really down to him. So I, I thought all of the tributes were great to him. Adam Silver spoke particularly well and he he spoke about the challenge of finding suitable owners for the books when Herb Cole wanted to sell. He talked about Bud Selig's role in that, which was news to me. I don't know, were you familiar with Bud Selig having a significant role in that decision-making process and the kind of early stages of that? No. Obviously, Bud Selig is... Former, from... former MLB commissioner. And was instrumental in Brewers too and you know all that too. Um and so too. very good personal friend of Herb Cole, it seems. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, Adam Silver from what he said uh, standing at the podium on Sunday when he got the call from Herb Cole that he wanted to sell the team. Silver was just in the job. He'd only recently taken over from David Stern. In his own words he had no idea what to do. So he called Bud Selig who 
a lot more experience in those matters said okay let's talk about it they got together with herb cole so the brain trust that really led to things advancing was adam silver but see the curb cole um which was interesting i just something i hadn't heard before maybe something we get even more detail about at some point but herb cole way did you go did you get a picture taken from herb cole way did you take a picture of the sign jordan i saw the sign ace of base um but i did not take a picture of it <laughs> yeah you're gonna have to do that i, I think when you finally i finally reveal your identity it's just got to be a picture of you at herb cole way No comment, no response no. to that. <laughs> Fair enough. To wrap up on the arena, tell me about inside. You did go and have a sit down, look at the court. How was it? Were the seats comfortable? What were the sight lines like? What were what was the view like? Did it feel like a very different arena sitting in there in terms of your view, the whole vibe of that than your experiences at the Bradley Center? It definitely felt different, uh, especially lower bowl. Um, I mean, it's more immediate. Sidelines are great from no matter what level, really. Um, I would say seating was very comfortable. Uh, it's pretty cool to see um, the. It's it, I don't know, like from it, it just it's a very, especially lower bowl. Obviously, it just it feels very immediate. Um, and it's not like that wasn't the case at the Bradley Center if you had closer seats or anything like that. But from when you're walking down to the tunnel and or tunnel from the uh, yeah tunnel, what am I talking about? <laughs> to, to get into the lower bowl, um, it just there is something different about it, like taking in and you could just imagine like what it's going to be like during game days and stuff like that. Um, other cool features, I actually I think a lot of this. They obviously had talked about, I mean, they talked endlessly about everything that's going to be in the arena, but a lot of the artwork stuff, like that really popped to me and it felt really, I don't know, it, it gave it a, a kind of a very home feeling, if you will, um, like that that deer kind of uh, the deer statues, deer made of basketballs. Yeah, it was, that was really cool. Um, some of the artwork kind of like on the suite level, you got to see some of the suites and stuff like that. That was pretty cool. The Panorama Club is actually, I mean, it's it's up there, obviously, and it's not, you know, a, the desired place that you'd want to watch a basketball, basketball game compared to, like, you know, being courtside or something like that. But that's very cool. Like, you can, that's obviously where Karan Butler is going to get married. I have to make that joke again. But, uh, <laughs> excuse me. But that was very cool and, um, yeah, I, I don't know. It's 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 weird. You're kind of like <laughs> you're like, oh, this is what it's going to feel like to watch a basketball game. But even then, like you just don't uh, really know like what it's going to be until you're watching a game preseason or regular season playoffs, whatever it is. Um, it just it's very uh, it's it's I don't know. It's it's pretty. It's all very cool. Thanks for that insight, Jordan. I mean, you yeah. were reaching hard for how to wrap that up, and we got to. It's all very cool. <laughs> Two thumbs up. Cool. Um, the artwork, I have to say, I mean, it started to emerge. I started to share images of it in the 
day or two prior to it. And that goes from the kind of mural thing outside looks really, really great. And then obviously all the wall local art and as you mentioned, the statue, things like that inside. You're right, it adds a very different vibe to it from what I can see. And probably does make it feel a little bit more lived in. You know, it you yeah. rather than being a big cold open space. And that's one of the challenges, you know. I mean, you could be kind and probably describe what the Bradley Center had as character, but that is something that comes with time. So trying to find a way that, you know, fans can buy in and they can really feel like this is the home building early on is is definitely something that's tough to do. I think oh, that... I forgot to Go sorry. On. I forgot to talk about the open concourses. Because especially I mean, that's I would say up there in terms of like the biggest changes from Bradley Center and stuff like that, because it was basically just like <laughs> the walking in, you're like, oh, the, <laughs> you just have like these little peaks into the tunnel and stuff like that. That's going to be, I mean, that, even when I was seeing this, like that's going to be tough to kind of like wrap your mind around, just like seeing like, oh, I can watch the game literally from any point, uh, as Peter Fagan said, like, three times in different articles he's like if you can see it from the op- open concourse or you can see any point of the game for the open concourse and um yeah that was also very cool <laughs> let's touch on the issue that is really the hot button topic for books fans it gets gets their gears grinding jordan and that is pricing i i already asked you this off air and was disappointed you didn't sample anything you did. You were there, though, and you did see yeah. around. Um, I'm guessing not just, obviously, the bars that were there, but the food stands, the concession stands did have kind of guide pricing up, or were they were they all functional? Or was basically, like, was it a... Did it have a feel of everything running? Yeah. Okay, what was the overall kind of... I'm guessing it's expensive. It's a sports reader. This is the thing that... My, I'm not going to say issue because, yeah, people are right. It should be cheaper. But there is also the thing that I've come to accept now, which is any event you go to in life, if it's a concert, if it's a sports event, guess what? Food and drink are not going to be cheap. That's how it works. They make their money on that stuff. Yeah, I mean, (laughs) a lot of it is, what is it, 95% of the concessions and uh, services, you know, food services provided are local based companies. So, I mean, from that standpoint, I, I, I don't know. You could just tell that they're, I don't know what I'm talking about. I, no, <laughs> I, I, I know what you're talking about, even if you don't. They very clearly aren't going for a, you know, fast, cheap, and nasty vibe with the food here. You know, it's like they're going out of their way to kind of put slightly higher quality things that are representative of the area use fresh local ingredients you know it's a trend that has now pretty much taken hold all over american professional sports but it was maybe a little bit more difficult for them to be right on top of it in the bradley center with the old facilities i mean i think they've just committed something that which has become pretty common it's really the gentrification of you know sports game food And that leads to higher prices, which should also hopefully lead to like better food. 
Um, drinks is the area where it's tougher to do that. Aside from, there are probably some more local craft beers. I don't know what way that's worked out with the brewery thing having been scrapped. I don't know what way they're doing that. The brewery thing was scrapped. I'm not imagining that, right? Wait, what? Where? For the if the brewery that was going to be part of the entertainment district. Is no, that... there, there, there is going to be one in there. Is that still a thing? Okay, I don't know what I'm thinking of then. Um, but drinks is always the contentious issue, and yeah, from what I heard, drinks are expensive. But hey, that's what happens at events. Drinks are expensive. Anything else on Vicer Forum? Next time we talk about it, will likely be when preseason opens and Jabari Parker's back in town and mm, yeah. all the lights are on. Oh, all the lights are on. They'll be on, Jordan. The lights will That's be on. True. Standing brightly on Jabari. Nothing else? Um, I mean, I obviously, this is kind of the milestone day and everything's building towards that, but, you know, the development nearby is plugging away <laughs> too. Like that's that's the kind of cool. It's like this cascading effect of it's you know the brewery the or <laughs> the brewery that you thought was not going to be there that I is mean, going I guess to be that's there. going well, yeah, yeah. Punch Bowl Social. That's a place that's going like to be there. Karaoke place and thing. Yeah, karaoke. Yeah, um, yeah. It's I don't know. It's not. It's not the end. It's just the beginning. I guess that's a very uh, a very fitting note for Jordan to close on and let me seamlessly transition into something else. And that is Wisconsin Herd Basketball. It's not the end of that. In fact, the beginning is now got a, now got a date. You know, you can circle it on your calendar. Wisconsin Herd schedule was released on Monday. So I have to think of my days there for a second. They will get underway in Menominee Nation Arena in Oshkosh on Friday, November 2nd. Um, they'll actually start with a home back-to-back. So Friday, November 2nd, Saturday, November 3rd. Get on down there, people. You know, if you want to get some some herd basketball, if you can get a chance to next, or if you can get a chance to last season, there's your chance to with the upcoming season. Um, other notes, regular season will finish for the herd on Saturday, March 23rd. They will take a pretty significant break midseason, 14 days, with what is almost certain to be the G League Showcase. It hasn't been officially announced, but that is the only gap in the calendar for that. That's moving forward about a month, three weeks at least, um, from my recollection. Yep. And there will be a little bit of a break over the holidays for the team too then, before they're back in action on the 28th. Are you excited, Jordan? Uh, the herd, the herd returning is you know it's there, it's in focus, it's just over the horizon. You can almost reach out and touch it. The patch mode. Um, <laughs> I'm very excited. I like the herd. I like watching the people. Herd. People who listen to the podcast know you like the herd. Yeah, this this is where my true identity reveals. It's I don't know. That was so. A- <laughs> So what you're saying is <laughs> Friday, November 2nd in Menominee Nation Arena, Jordan Tresky will reveal himself. His no, identity, oh, nothing else. Th- yeah, that yeah, <laughs> you worded that incredibly wrong. <laughs> oh my lord. Um, yeah, for that reason I'm out. <laughs> Mark Cuban. 
<laughs> I got it. I got it. You didn't need to explain it. Um, do you want to break the news to people that you broke to me beforehand? You have gone through the schedule. You've gone through the book schedule, and you have worked out exactly how many times. I mean, this could have been something that reassured me. Instead, it's something that made me miserable. How many times this season, Jordan, are the books and the herd gonna go head to head on the schedule? How many times could their games potentially clash? Out of the well, I, this is out of the forty-eight games. We have to remember too, because the sh- showcase, the games have not been listed, obviously. Oh right, yeah. that doesn't make me feel better. Thanks. For that. Yeah, it shouldn't make you feel better. <laughs> 30, 30 double duty days, which only really affects Adam and I. And no, it possibly- doesn't. It doesn't. We encourage people to watch the herd. Um, we've had mixed success with that so far. So I would have loved to be able to say, look, there's only 10 times this year where the books and herd play at the same time. So what excuse do you have for not watching the herd? Uh, but no, at least, you know, at least 60% of their games will likely clash with the book. So, yeah, that's unfortunate. But, hey, plenty of time still to check in with the herd. Anything else, Jordan? Um, If you don't, that's okay. I'm not, I'm not making you come up with stuff here. No. Okay, we've got mailbag questions. We've only got two because... Ooh. I didn't call for questions in a timely manner, so it's basically the people who acted immediately when they saw it. Impromptu. But let's work through them. The first one from at Dukes MCH. How many corner trees does John Henson shoot this year? Oh. He had a quote. He said something during Summer League, right? There was some quote about corner threes. If he did, I may have blocked it out of my mind. Well, I want to say he's only he did made one, yeah. Three, he did make last, one last season, and it was a corner tree, right? It was it top of the arc? I can't remember. Um, yeah, I, it was. It was a corner tree. Okay. I don't know about this. <laughs> I mean. Maybe with a functional offense, he won't have to take them. I understand the idea of, you know, oh, if the books are better offensively, you know, they're going to say, big guys, you've got to space the floor. Maybe leave John Henson out of that. No? You want John Henson involved in that? All three. Dwayne Dwayne Deadman-like three-point reinvention. I'm trying to think, do I know what Dwayne Dedman's stroke looked like before he went to work with that particular coaching staff? I don't, but I feel like it didn't look like John Henson's. Uh, I guess we'll see. I'm not, do I have to guess? Is that the, how many corner trees does he shoot? Five? I'm probably being on the low side of that, they will probably try to get him. He can make mid-rangers sometimes. It just doesn't exactly inspire confidence when he tries them. The next question, the last question from at Al underscore Tom. Who is the leader of this team? Is it clearly Yanis or was Jet the veteran leader last season? If he isn't back, who is it? Chris, maybe? I think it's Yanis. I think it's like he's 
definitely pushed himself to the forefront of that, not just in terms of his play, but it seems like he wants to be a leader. He wants to be that kind of guy. And I guess that's something that adds up from the players. He clearly idolizes. He sees something that he wants to follow as a template. And yeah, I think it is him. I think Chris has improved in that department. I think if Jet isn't back, it would seem likely that Delhi would be the closest to that kind of guy, maybe? They talk about him like that already. I mean, there is more experience with Brooke Lopez and Ursan coming back as well, so there are other contenders for it, but maybe a different kind of leadership from them. Ursan has never exactly come across to me as like a a rousing leader. <laughs> I don't know. You never know. Uh, Ursan, leader Sova. Um... <laughs> <laughs> Our Ursan leader of Cola. That's a super troopers. Anyway. Um, yeah, I think it's clearly Giannis. He's a leader. Follow the leader. Follow the Giannis. <laughs> that's, that's all you had is I think it's clearly Giannis. He is a leader. Great. This has gone well. Um, we'll be back soon. We may be talking books history next time we're back. Um, it's probably not a secret to those who follow our stuff closely over the last number of years, but we have made a habit of making September books history month at Behind the Book Pass, or about Jordan and I write. And definitely last year, and maybe a little bit the year before as well, but definitely last year we had that spill over into our podcast coverage as well. We did all history podcasts for the month of September last year. Um, we may do similar again. I think we'll have some other stuff mixed in, but if we can find some subjects that we're into, that we find interesting enough to look back on, to reflect on, we'll do that. And with that in mind, if there's any particular era of books history, any particular players, any fun stories you know of you'd like us to cover on site or to talk about on the podcast, let us know. You can... Get us on Twitter at Behind the Books is the site at Winning Six Podcast for the podcast at Adam McGee Eleven for me at Jordan Tresky for Jordan or if you'd prefer to email if it's something a little bit more detailed Winning Six Podcast at gmail.com. We are open to ideas for what you'd like us to talk about during History Month. So if you've got any anything in particular that jumps out to you that you think we may not have covered before, any games, any moments, any seasons. Any players, whatever it is, let pickle. us know. We'll see what we can do. I think we've covered the pickle more extensively than any other moment in Bucks history. We're getting, we've covered a lot of it's Bucks now, history. It has gone far enough that I may let you revisit the pickle and do a pickle piece just for, just for, you know, historical purposes, just so you can document that for future generations so that when 30 years from now someone, someone is searching the interwebs. Yeah. There you go. Okay, there was. I mean, maybe some of our other history stuff has been used as, like, the official sources on Wikipedia. Official as much as anything on Wikipedia is official. <laughs> maybe you get the pickle on there. I mean, I mean not... National Pickle Day. That's the ringing endorsement for National Pickle Day, whatever that is. Yeah. So, if you've got anything you want us to talk about that isn't the pickle, please don't just all suggest the pickle. Let us know, and we'll see what we can do. We will be back soon, probably about a week from now. Until then, make sure you check out all of our work at BehindTheBookPass.com. 
Subscribe to Snapple Podcast, follow us on SoundCloud, Addison Stitcher, and Favors and Tune in Radio to make sure you never miss an episode of Winning Six. And we'll be back with you very soon. As always, thanks to you for listening. Thank you, Jordan. Thank you.